Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Hello again, listeners. It's another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. We're fully into the new year, and joining me uh, to celebrate this post-FA Cup third round podcast is Anita Sambol, all the way from Croatia, with the telly on silently in the background. How are you, Anita? <laughs> hello, hello, my dear. It's been good. The start of the of the new year has been much better than the end of the last well in Arsenal terms, as well, at least. And you've lost your your horrible cold and sore throat by the sounds of it, or at least the worst. Yeah, I couldn't speak at all last week, so back and running this week. Uh, listeners may be relieved to know that, uh, as agreed before with Anita, I'm not going to go into any incredibly in-depth tactical analysis uh, this week, <laughs> partly because I can't work out what our tactics are on a consistent enough basis to form any detailed analysis of them, except alternating between a back four and a back five, uh, depending on who's fit. <laughs> Um, which of course we managed to do before we'd even started the game at the weekend we managed to alternate between two different defensive formations <laughs> yeah exactly it was a big big shot before the match started that Kostelny was injured I mean my commentator still thought that Kostelny is playing 10 minutes into the match I mean frankly Kostelny probably could do with as much rest as possible at the moment given that he's still coming back and has has been interviewed and saying how he came back a little quicker than he was intending to and it's been quite hard um, and we've seen in a couple of his performances that he's not really the full Lauren at, at present um, but yes uh, I, those on Twitter may be aware of how how creative your commentator was in your stream <laughs> <laughs> It was actually on on TV on Creation TV, and he oh. was really. He felt like it felt like he was. He got the memo that he's uh, commenting on this match five minutes before it started, so he was a bit lost and really equal parts funny and and annoying <laughs> at these times. And was he to the same standard as the uh, the Premier Sports bloke from earlier in this, the start of the season talking about Ernie Smith Rowe? <laughs> Yeah, he he thought that uh, Bakari Sako was a Smith role, so... Uh, oh, uh, Bakayu Saka. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's quite a leap, given, <laughs> given that, you know, they're completely different in appearance. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's not like a Smith role is just, you know, some random youngster. He did play, he was on TV, he got some minutes. So, yeah, it was really... Well, also, oh, but I, I've seen that Steve McManaman was equally as fun for for English people. I mean, to be honest, I don't tend to take in a lot of what he says. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, we all know that as a ex Liverpool player, his loyalties are very much aligned in that direction. And you know, I don't have a problem with him uh, not attempting to hide those loyalties. Hey, we love it when Ian Wright talks about Arsenal in the, <laughs> as if he's still on the playing staff. Um, but he, yeah, he's. Uh, it's an interesting th- thing. The sports commentators. You're thinking, are they actually that dull? Have they been just trained in their footballing life to speak in cliches, or are they expected to speak in cliches by the channels that hire them, and therefore aren't allowed to say anything more interesting? Because I remember John Barnes as a co-commentator being really not great but when interviewed recently on the subject of racism in England and the abuse of Raheem Sterling and other things he came across as incredibly erudite and well um, well con- well able to construct 
interesting arguments and detailed sentences with a, with a degree of nuance, which you would never have guessed from his career as a football manager or a player or indeed briefly as a pundit. So, I mean, <laughs> is, is, is it the landscape shaping these people or are they really just that boring in the first place? It's hard to tell. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it could be, and I'm not, uh, I don't know how it is uh, up there uh, on your televisions and everything. I mean, I, I assume it's a much better situation. But here you have commentators comment, same commentators commenting on a lot of different leagues, a lot of even a lot of different sports. You know, you have commentators on uh, American football and, uh, you know, the regular football, soccer, commenting matches, I mean, on a daily basis. So it's, I mean, sometimes you can kind of forgive them for lack of knowledge of some youth youngsters, but I mean, if you, it's your job, you are here to educate the, the viewer to tell them a bit more than just, oh, this player passed to this player. And I can assure you it's not that much better in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, some of, the, some of them have done their research, but a lot of the co-commentators are basically ex-footballers from the 80s who don't really know anything in-depth about the teams they're talking about, um, but are, are able to spout the same opinions that they've read in the newspaper uh, verbatim. But anyway, um, so seeing as you were able to watch the entire game in Croatia on national telly, uh, what, what did you make of the Blackpool experience? Um, I mean, obviously, before the game, there was that slight disruption with the a uh, protesting Blackpool fan sat on the roof of the Arsenal bus. Um, I mean, have you have you, have you been following the story at all about what's happened at Blackpool since they were in the Premier League? Uh, I I haven't before, but I did kind of go and see what's happening when uh, someone mentioned that there might be some kind of pitch invasion or something during our match because it's a big match, it's mm. on TV and everything. So I was curious to see why exactly because I mean. I am familiar with situations like that here, here in yes. Croatia when fans think that uh, it's the best way, but the best thing they can do is to stop matches and, you know, show their disapproval that way. But yeah, I mean, the, it's like, it's about their owner, mm, yeah, mm. who is doing really, did really bad, bad stuff out of football and in football and trying to kind of keep keep them uh, in lower leagues because of well his convictions and uh, yeah crimes and everything i can totally understand that the side from from the the blackpool blackpool fans the way they are they were boycotting the team i mean it wasn't really a nice atmosphere that you we used to get in some other ties against lower leagues, mm. lower league teams in previous uh, seasons, but it's I totally get their point, and I think that the walkout in boycotting the match is probably bet better way to show your disapproval and and everything than you know pitch invasions and throwing flares on pitch and everything. Because as many people have said, football is nothing without fans. Mm. And even on on TV, I still remember how uh, from uh, one paragraph from Fever Pitch when I was reading it long before I've seen a lot of matches in English football where when they first started uh, introducing all seating stadiums in, in Premier League and Hornby mentioned how lots of people pay such high prices and come to watch football because of the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's... 
you can, I can totally go get behind that that kind of way of protesting, you know, walkouts and not coming to matches, boycotting matches, not only yes, of course, you don't buy the tickets and that kind of hurts the club because they don't get your, your money for your ticket, but lack of atmosphere and, you know, the whole feeling of match day and football experience in whole, it means really a lot, I mean a lot more, more people perhaps won't come to the match if they've seen that atmosphere is lacking that yeah things mm. really do need to change well it's also if you've got a club like that which has you know previously many years ago 60 years ago had a lot of success and and had a fairly stable fan base and then when they get on tv for what would normally for be for a lower league club you know a big sellout fixture the fact that the ground is empty makes the point pretty clearly doesn't it i mean it beca- yeah. it becomes a conversation piece that everyone has to acknowledge and then it gets talked about which is which is exactly what's happened and you know i i agree with you i think it's a very effective form of protest if you're in a high profile situation um and i think it's also makes it a lot harder for for people to dismiss the actions of a few fans as being antisocial or whatever if what they're doing is just not participating at all you know if you if you run on the pitch or you throw flares then people can can easily label you as criminals and it's harder to distinguish between the real fans and the criminals if everyone's participating in that kind of fashion but if people just don't come along to the games or walk out then it's such a more powerful statement and it, it's hard to think that that the uh, emptying crowds at the emirates didn't somehow accelerate arsene wenger's uh, departure announcement last season Um, And that's on a much smaller scale in a situation where, frankly, uh, compared to Blackpool, we really don't have that much to complain about. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, mean, Stan Kroenke may may be morally dubious for uh, some of his business practices and the fact, you know, you you may have a stance on the accumulation of wealth, etc. But but compared to Owen Oyston, he is a a saint. so it is against that backdrop that obviously the team set out and, and, and with Koscielny having to pull out with a back problem, I mean, make hay makes no sense to, to risk him. Um, it means we saw Carl Jenkinson come off the bench and start at right back and e- even more kids involved in the match. Um, I mean, what did you make of the game or the performance? I mean, I, I guess under the circumstances with the lack of atmosphere, which is normally so much of a an influencing factor in FA Cup ties uh, it made life easier for Arsenal <laughs> well we could have clearly hear the Arsenal away fans singing Aaron Ramsey we want you to stay yes. <laughs> which was really also a good point towards uh, towards Arsenal and uh, the board and uh, Emery and everyone but I doubt that we can change anything <laughs> in this situation too late now yeah Yeah. Uh, the match I mean um, when we play in cups in against lower lower league sides as well as in the Europa League against really weaker sides, I always encourage. I'm always happy to see youngsters getting some chance, chances and mixed with with more experienced players like Aaron Ramsey in, in this in this case, who mm. I think he did really really well and was unlucky to not to get uh, on the score sheet himself. As well as Eddie and Ketia, who hmm. at first I thought he was a bit unlucky, but upon re- rewatching some highlights and his chances, I think that 
yeah, he has mostly himself to blame for not having a hat trick in in the first half. Yeah, I mean, he he undoubtedly should have scored at least one of those chances. I, I actually thought the the one on his right foot where the ball kind of somehow bobbled through was that was the best chance. Um, you know, the cross which he couldn't quite reach properly with his left. Uh, and the other shot on his left foot were both slightly more difficult chances because they involved sort of adjustment of body position and weaker foot. And you know, if it had been under twenty-three level, you ex- you expect that he would have scored at least one or two of those. But uh, I think there's still with him very much this element of him snatching at things and sort of being too desperate to score a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Wanted it, wanted it too 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 much. Say, but yeah. I think overall he did really well op- opening up and actually being in those positions to get in those chances. I mean, I've been saying that uh, uh, last few days about Aubameyang as well, because mm. you can see how he does miss some some sitters, some really g- good chances. But, I mean, he's that kind of a striker that many wouldn't even be in those positions to get those chances. Yeah, I mean, I've always said that the player that Eddie Nketiah actually reminds me most of is someone else who came through the ranks at Arsenal, although had their success elsewhere, who was Andy Cole, who's, uh, you know, was a, a quick, mobile striker who missed chances, but because his movement off the ball uh, and his, uh, I suppose, agility, flexibility were so good, he always got a lot of chances and therefore in an attacking team scored quite a lot of goals and hey you know he won the treble at Man United so he didn't do too badly for himself <laughs> uh, and, and physically they're, they're quite similar as well and Ketty is a little bit lighter still but he's obviously still very young yeah, and exactly. very slightly shorter but there's a lot of similarities to their game and uh, you know I was one of the Arsenal fans lucky enough to actually see one of Andy Cole's two appearances in an Arsenal shirt or whatever it was um, wow uh, and, and was very disappointed when we sold him because he was a player that, like Nketiah now, is someone I thought, this kid's got something, you know, whether he's got the temperament for the top level, we don't know, but he has the ability to score goals and sadly with Andy Cole that proved very much the case at our direct <laughs> rivals. Um, I mean, going beyond Eddie, and I think, yeah, I agree with you, he, I think he worked really well for the team as well as getting those chances. I thought he ran the channels really well as well and gave us a bit of an outlet, particularly in the first half. Um, but what, what did you make of the performances from the other younger players in the team? Yeah, Joe Willard definitely didn't have a problem with <laughs> wanting too, too much to score. He got himself a brace and I really loved how... I mean, he's still so young, and that reaction to the rebound from Aaron Ramsey's fantastic free kick, such a shame that it didn't go in. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, Willock was there, reacted really, really well. No no panic at all, just headed the ball in. That was really nice to see from him. I thought his, his finish for the second goal was 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 actually quite impressive as well. Um, yeah, that, ho- that whole goal was really, I think it was 10, 10 players, 10 Arsenal players involved in that goal since from Czech up to Willock. Yeah. Really nice team goal. Nice, yeah. Although it didn't, you know, it, it, it might have not looked, looked that way because it was long long attack from from the, from behind as, as we have done mm. a few times this season. But yeah, it was really a nice, nice team goal. I mean, one of the th- it really did highlight something that has changed in in Joe Willock's game, and, and the people who watched under twenty threes would have noticed this as well. Uh, how 
this season he's getting into the box uh, with a lot more regularity, getting into goal-scoring positions, which obviously, you know, <laughs> if you're a, a vaguely attacking midfielder, is a, is a significant thing to add to your game. Um, uh, and, you know, even whether it be the Checker Trade Trophy against lower league opposition or whether it be in, in the 23s, he's looking much more effective as an attacking force. I think a lot of people are very critical of his prospects last season with him looking a bit lightweight and what have you, but I think he's definitely taken a step forward. And, you know, that's the thing with young players' development. It's you never know if and when they're going to make that step forward to improve. I mean, Alex Awobi was another one who, at 16... 15 didn't look any better than his contemporaries and there were probably other players who looked far better placed to make the first team but have disappeared without a trace uh, and yet Alex Awobi is the Nigerian international with you know over 50 Premier League appearances and so on and so on under his belt um, and I think Willock's another one who is starting to now show that the intelligence and mentality to go with his technical ability um, so we have to hope that he can continue to develop in, in, in the way that he has in the last six to nine months because that he could be a very useful player for us going forward if he does. Yeah, it seems uh, Emery trusts him and wants to give him a try because he has been on, on the bench several times in Premier League as well. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you do see this development in players. Um, Inketia was let go for instance by Chelsea for being too small and then grew a bit as soon as he joined Arsenal <laughs> um, and Smith Throw is someone who until his recent injury had been on an incredible uh, developmental path over the preceding year having initially not stood out to the same degree amongst his, his peers of his age group um, I mean also uh, I'm trying to think who else made it made a significant impact. And I thought Maitland Niles on the right showed that <laughs> again in a in his sort of fifth position of his career, <laughs> which is now going back to his first position of his career. Um, <laughs> he, he's shown that um, he can be useful for us. I mean, I, I think we still don't know where he's going to end up, but <laughs> I, I thought he he looked very comfortable in the game uh, and creating chances and what have you. Yeah, in this one and the one before as well, when he got to, the, to play, he I think that he did really, really well. And it's if I remember, you have always praised him and mm. thought that he will be the next one to make it, and we can we can see that now. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, the, the very fact that for me, as a seventeen-year-old, he was sent on loan to Championship side Ipswich when they were a lot better than Ipswich are now, mm -hmm. um, and was able to basically be a first team regular until his mum fell out with the manager <laughs> um, always a fun story <laughs> it, it does you know it suggests that a player certainly has a, a a baseline that's very strong to work off if you're able to cope in a professional men's league despite not being bigger and you know it's not like his development was due to him being bigger and stronger than everyone else. I mean, yes, he was a bit more physically developed than some of his peers, but he's still a fairly slight guy, but he was able to cope at that level and contribute and be popular with both manager and fans. And that, you know, that tells you that that there's a, a player there waiting to waiting to develop. And, and, and he's another one, you know, as with Smith Rowe before him or Wilshire before that, you know, a player who 
by the time he was 17, he was clearly far too good for the under-18s and was already a bit too good for the under-23s. Um, so that, that, again, gives you an indication, particularly that it's not based on physical attributes, like someone like J. Emmanuel Thomas, who who was incredibly skilled, but was also six foot three and built like a brick shithouse. Um, <laughs> and, some, you know, him and Chuck Zanico both had their lack of mobility exposed in the professional game. Um, whereas obviously others have gone on to thrive because their progress is based on other things. Um, also, I've just always had a soft spot for him because there's a, a football forum, an Arsenal supporters forum that's set up by an Australian, uh, well, a gooner from London who moved to Australia who sadly passed away now. Uh, and it's now a sort of memorial forum for him. And there was a someone who participates on that who was an Arsenal scout uh, who basically was the one who discovered Maitland Niles when he was like six or something. Uh, and, and, and was always talking about what a great attitude he had. Um, so, you know, that also gave me another reason to feel confident that he had the, the grounding to be able to progress as a player. He's, he seems fun off pitch as well. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's kind of quite understated and quiet, but... Um, you know, whenever you sort of see him interviewed, he he he, he looks like he's not really a talker. <laughs> but, but yeah, he's he's clearly got a bit of a sense of humour, and obviously, it's it's good for us to be having a a crop of young players that have a bond together. You know. And... Yeah, exactly. That you can see that him, uh, Alex Iwobi, and Joe Willock uh, uh, after the the match against uh, Blackpool, they were. You know, in some videos and this, uh, Instagram stories, I think it was they were having fun together and posing and stuff. So yeah, it's it's really nice to see. And Maitland Niles also seems to get on very well with Lacazette and uh, and Aubameyang, which won't hurt his cause either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who doesn't get well with Aubameyang? He just seems like such a fun person, He's always always smiling, always laughing, always doing some pranks or something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's. I mean, I'm not necessarily a great fan of footballers' pranks, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but he does seem to have a, a, a permanent smile yeah. uh, etched on his face, which is always a nice thing to be around, as we all know. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we also know that you know Reese Nelson, who's on loan, has a good relationship with Joe Willock and, and with Eddie Nketiah as well. So, if two or three of those guys can come through, they could really whether they become first team regulars or just squad players it will still be really beneficial for the progress of this team particularly given the <laughs> the financial restrictions which we're currently under and no doubt more on that later um i mean what else did you sort of take away from the blackpool game it's it's hard to really judge the performances of experienced pros against weaker opposition uh, uh, as you Kind of mentioned for for a bit, but I can can't go besides that. Carl Jenkinson <laughs> getting his start and actually playing really well with some some really nice crosses. Was he like pre-assist or something for for third goal? Uh, certainly for the second goal. I don't for know. second goal. Yeah. 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 Uh, which and he scored himself in the first half as well. Indeed. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. Again, <laughs> the gooner that won't die. He's uh, <laughs> he's been the club have been tr basically trying to ship him out for the best part of two and a half years, three years, uh, and yet he keeps doing this sort of coming in and having the odd game where he shows that he does have some value. I mean, whether he does against top Premier League opposition, who knows? And 
but he, he's still more mobile than Licksteiner is now. Um, yeah, so many comments on Twitter how he's much better than Licksteiner. <laughs> which I think is perhaps a little naive, but um, <laughs> yeah, Licksteiner has been exposed, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced uh, Corporal Jenkinson would have been all that much more effective against Sadio Mane and, <laughs> and Mohamed Salah. Oh, imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but you know, good on him. You know he's he, he, being the uh, as he commented very emotionally after the match, being the lifelong gooner that he is. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's really the best part about about Carl Jenkinson. Yeah, you know he really he, he's under no illusions about how uh, how fortunate he is to be able to play for his boyhood club, even if it is sporadically, and, and accordingly that. That leads him to play with a level of commitment uh, that you, you know you can never fault his effort. You can never fault um, his, his willingness to to stay, keep his head down, and work and try and be ready, even if he's looking like he's never going to play for us again. Uh, uh, which has meant that while he's got a contract, he still gets the odd game for us. So I mean, chances are I'll be gone in the summer, but unless he wants to take a massive pay cut. But you never know. <laughs> you know, if Lichtsteiner's contract's running out and he can impress Emery a little bit between now and the end of the season, then he may yet find himself staying on as, as reserve right back because, let's face it, there's lots of money to spend in other areas of the squad and to not have to spend it there would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, anything else stood out for the game? I thought it was quite interesting. I mean, again, the opposition dictated it, but Aaron Ramsey is a deeper-lying midfielder, um, looking very comfortable, some very good tracking back at times as well, including some good sprints in the first half that reminds you that he can actually play in that like box-to-box role uh, <laughs> but but uh, only really when he's been specifically told to <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly he did have some uh, good runs in the box as well yeah. really I'm really sh- it's such a shame that that free kick didn't go in it was really a fantastic free kick yeah it was a good effort it's true it's true um, I mean uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else really notable about the game. I mean, uh, we didn't really... I mean, you have the standard Arsenal defending. It, it didn't change for this match at all. I mean, Blackpool could have easily scored if it was some stronger team, uh, uh, stronger attacker, they would definitely score. But this this way, I think that Czech became 12th. Arsenal goalkeeper with 50 clean sheets, something like that. Arsenal tweeted about it today. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a really interesting stat. <laughs> I mean, it won't say that it was against Blackpool in, uh, in the cup, but yeah, yeah, 12 goalkeeper in Arsenal history to keep 50 clean sheets. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose we have to comment on, as well on the fact that Alex Iwobi showed that for whatever frustration some fans may have with him, he is just too good for that level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. He, he definitely is. He would he had a really good match. Really, I mean, he has been okay for the most of the season. We all know how how he can have fantastic moments inside. You know, ten minutes he can have a brilliant pass, brilliant assist, even, and then you know, screw up some simple pass or simple thing. Mm, mm. It's true. It's true. Uh, but he got his goal, and another slightly offside goal. <laughs> 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 um, but hey, you know, 
it's all about end product and if he can it doesn't matter who it's against or the circumstances if he can get a few more goals and assists then that's that's going to do his confidence and his position in the squad uh, no end of good um, I mean elsewhere uh, obviously El Nini did his El Nini thing of, of being sort of 6 out of 10 um, and perfectly competent but not really doing impressive at any way any point um, Socrates uh, had a little bit of a shock and normally he's able to kind of dominate a physical battle against defenders or at least kind of put himself about a bit but the English lower leagues <laughs> another level <laughs> yeah I mean Nandule he's an Ivory Coast striker who played up front for Blackpool I mean doesn't look like the most subtle player but he was a big lad <laughs> Although saying that, did you see the bloke who came on to replace him at the end, Davies? No, I don't remember. He he was like he was a, he was a perfect lower league footballer because he was he was like actually fat. <laughs> <laughs> like he was one of those people that he came on and I thought that bloke's fatter than me. <laughs> <laughs> He's surrounded by all these kind of elite athletes, and you know he was your archetypal you know slow fat bloke with a great touch. <laughs> You know, he had a couple of very, he had a couple of very nice school moments and a couple of very very well weighted through balls, but he wasn't the most mobile. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the playing lower league teams, and it's part of the magic of the cup. As yeah, you exactly, exactly. <laughs> Seeing some bloke that is d- just like you, but a bit better. <laughs> I loved how. Uh, Sal Kalashinets pointed out some stuff to El Nene during the celebration so after the goal. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that video that was just fantastic. Like, no time. It's two second celebration and then listen up. Yeah. <laughs> you, you screwed up here and there. <laughs> back, yeah, exactly. Back to back to <laughs> uh, Speaking of Kalashinets, I thought he, his ability to get a booking in there. <laughs> it was a really silly booking, really. He just kind of hugged the bloke until <laughs> so he stopped running and then we had the, the sight of Mike Dean calling him over uh, having waved his arms in a way that suggests I'm not going to book you and then as soon as he got him over then booking him straight away <laughs> true Classic Mike Dean Mike style Dean. exactly exactly everything's a performance everything's a performance he's in the wrong career um, but we did get to see coming on for class and very late on Zek Medley uh, an- another ex-Chelsea youth player but grew up as an Arsenal fan who came and joined us when he was 16 uh, I find it interesting that he's suddenly on the fringes of the first team picture uh, when really at-, at times last season in the youth groups he looked like someone that that really wasn't going to make it um, you know he looked sort of clumsy and, and uh, like he was too big to know how to use his body properly but he seems to have kind of as as always happens with bigger players, they take a little bit longer to develop. And I think he's he's a, someone who's come on a fair bit this season. So um, n- nice to see a young defender get get some game time at Arsenal. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, uh, and God knows we need we need young defenders in our defence when <laughs> everyone is dropping down injured. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> never just, enough of them. <laughs> just just so we're not having to kind of roll Kishelny out in some kind of. Wheels device. <laughs> I don't know. Year is 2025. <laughs> <laughs> we can rebuild him. We have the technology. <laughs> it's cybercars. It's, it's yeah. half of the fence is injured. Laurent Koscielny 
takes the start against Chelsea and <laughs> Gary Cahill coming on loan. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. It, the worst thing is it's vaguely plausible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we got another very tiny peek at uh, Bikayo Saka, who for the second game in a, in a row came on and basically didn't touch the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, give him a pass. <laughs> but, but no, he got to come on and run around a bit and, <laughs> and while the ball stayed at the other, uh, other side of the pitch. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but media will have you think that Pochettino is the one who is giving chances to the youngsters. Well, I mean, to be fair, um, he's he, his hands are somewhat tied because Spurs obviously aren't buying as many players because they're, they're going through the, this new stadium build, shenanigans. Um, that's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and because of that, he's having to use some of the younger players. But... Spurs fans love to forget, you know, Pochettino is the is the fucking don because he's giving chances to young players. But the the one that started giving chances to young players, and let's face it, gave a, a chance to Harry Kane, who's become their idol totem superhero, uh, was Tim Sherwood. <laughs> uh, so the much maligned Tim Sherwood he was the one that's the first Spurs manager in years to actually start giving young players a chance and alright some of those young players have now moved on they're like Bentleb or whatever they, they got a ridiculous sum of money for but you know without him would would Pochettino have even had some of these young players to utilise uh, discuss anyway fuck Spurs I'm not interested in them it is quite interesting talking about young players, of course, as uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi get, uh, has come every time he plays for Chelsea, looks very, very good. He's clearly far too good for the age groups. Uh, the, the manager wants him to stay, um, but it still seems like he might well be going to buy Munich uh, because <laughs> he's another player who Chelsea aren't really giving a, a chance to as a youngster. You know, we've already seen Ruben, Ruben Loftus-Cheek have about three seasons on loan to various different people before for now finally getting some game time this season um, but you know Chelsea have had three they've had Mourinho Conte and Sarri all of whom outside of Chelsea have a, an appalling track record when it comes to introducing young players into a team <laughs> um, so perhaps uh, perhaps it, you know there's a, for all you young footballers out there if you come to Arsenal you, you may not win as many trophies but you'll definitely get a game <laughs> maybe get sold to someone <laughs> exactly exactly you'll, but you'll get sold to someone when, you, when, when you've proven yourself good enough to play for them all the time <laughs> yeah Chelsea went on now to buy a Pulisic who is still I mean he's technically not a youngster but still a very young player yeah yeah he's like 19 or something isn't he yeah 60 yeah. odd million he was also linked to Arsenal. Did you did you read that? Yeah, I mean it was when he was a kid. Well, he tried to sign for us when when he was fourteen, but uh, again, you know, the UK work permit situation wasn't. Very yeah, helpful. he should have remembered that he is Croatian before. <laughs> well, I think at that stage, Croatia was Croatia's status wasn't enough to get him to be part of <laughs> part uh, of uh, the EU. That's why he went for for USA, their national team. Yeah, well, I bet he still got his Croatian citizenship to then go and play for Dortmund, so, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. go figure. But, uh, hey, in Brexit Britain, who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> no, <laughs> let's not talk about that one. Um, I mean, just talking about the Arsenal youngsters, before we just move further on to transfers, one, one of the bits of news that came out today, according to training ground guru... Uh, 
which uh, is a website that I hadn't previously discovered until earlier today, <laughs> um, is that uh, the lead analyst or data analyst, Ben Napper, has now been promoted to the new role of loans manager by Arsenal. Um, so he's basically going to be overseeing our loans process um, to make sure, obviously, deciding where players are going to go, for when, how long they're there for, and, and monitoring their progress. And as a data analyst, it you know it lends itself very well to that job. Um, and um, I, it's nice to see Arsenal finally catching up with what some other teams have been doing as far as, far as having someone specifically in that role. Um, particularly as we're going to be increasingly relying upon our academy, which has been yielding decent results in recent years. I mean, Chelsea have obviously got their usual collection of 40 players out on loan. Uh, have, <laughs> Standard. Yeah, exactly. Have two uh, people who are who are there to manage loans, They're both former players, uh, Tori Andre Flo and Paolo Ferreira. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they've got so many players on loan, they have to have two members of staff One's not enough, which really shows you how ridiculous uh, their refusal to actually implement or in, sort of involve any of their actual players in their squad is. But that's another question. <laughs> I thought that was quite an interesting manoeuvre. And, and obviously there's, there's talk today that, um, you know, some of the other young players, perhaps Willock Saka or Enketia, two or three of those might, might find themselves out on loan. Um, at the moment, we've we've not actually got many young players out on loan. There's Christian Bielek back at Charlton again, who's done all right. Uh, Reese Nelson has obviously got lots of plaudits, uh, and uh, the Nigerian uh, Kelechi Nkwali, who can't get a work permit and therefore has to go on loan. And then you're looking at players who are a bit older, like Asano, who I don't, <laughs> the Japanese bloke that most people have probably forgotten about, who I doubt will ever play for Arsenal because uh, he still can't get a work permit. And then you've got Cam Chambers. Matt Macy and David Espina. Um, so we've got oh. far yes lung players out on loan in recent years. Um, so maybe, maybe this was, was with a view to doing more of that in, in the not too distant future. Yeah, may, may all loans work out as well as Reese Nelson's most recent one. Well, Reese Nelson's so far. <laughs> so far. So far. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, as you were sort of bringing up the topic of transfers, is something we have to talk about. I mean, it's, it is the season for it, and a January transfer window is always popular. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then then Mary basically went from, "Oh, we're not sure if we will sign anyone." To yes, we need a defender, we need a winger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is came as a surprise to like absolutely fucking no one. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I. I re- I think if you'd asked any Arsenal fans, you'd have, you know you'd asked a collection of them. I reckon about ninety percent would have said, "Yes, we need a centre half and a winger." Yeah, <laughs> and have like done. Three, three seasons. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we finally bought a defensive midfielder, so that's one box ticked. <laughs> um, so obviously, yeah. all the papers are are convinced we're going to buy Denis Suarez, and Unai Emery is. Well, didn't exactly shut that rumour down without quite confirming it. Uh, there's talk that uh, we want him on loan for half a season with an option to buy and that Barcelona are trying to kind of play a hard bit hardball on that one by pretending he's not for sale anymore, despite the fact they dropped him from their match squad. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, before we get onto any other players that we might be looking at, have 
Have you seen much of Denis Suarez in the past, and, and what do you make of him as a player? Yeah, I've been watching him since he was ten. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I've, outside his up. house with the binoculars. I know, Anita. <laughs> I've looked up some of his stats and seen, you know, I mean, talk on, on Twitter. I won't even pretend that I have been following him for, for ages. But judging by, I mean, his position is now cent- centrally, central midfielder. Role, but Emery said that he was playing as winger in um, Sevilla while he was there. So, I mean, it seems like a logical signing. I mean, he largely played as a wide player when he was at, the, at Villarreal. And uh, I don't know if you saw the footage recently of him setting up a, a winning goal. I think it may have been for Carlos Bacca against Liverpool in the Europa League quarter-final. Um, mm. I think it was the first leg in t- 2016. And he caught my eye in that game. I remember watching that game live and also watching him play for Sevilla when they went on the Europa League winning run with him as part of that squad. And, and I've seen him play a few times for Barcelona. And he's one of those players that Every time you watch him, you're like, why doesn't he get more games for Barcelona? And then you realise it's because uh, he plays in exactly the same position as Andres Iniesta. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's why last season he wasn't getting more games, because of Andres Iniesta. And then then Barcelona, because Iniesta was leaving, bought Philippe Coutinho. (laughs) (laughs) And the only other place where really Denis Suarez could really get into that team would be ahead of Lionel Messi, which is never going to happen. (laughs) Or, Or perhaps... In a long shot, you could try and play him in Rakitic's position, but Rakitic is a different sort of player, really. Um, yeah, I think that I've read that uh, Suarez was actually a part of the deal when Rakitic was uh, coming from Sevilla. Yeah, yeah, they were for him to go on loan. Um, so basically, same position. <laughs> ish. I mean, Rakitic ish. plays a little bit deeper for Barcelona than he did for Sevilla because Barcelona have very little, very few defensively competent midfielders and they've got a lot of really good attacking players. Um, I mean, one thing about Denis Suarez is, it, is whether he comes to us or not, someone needs to decide what his actual position is because, as you say, Barcelona's been mostly playing attacking midfield. Previously, he was play, more playing in sort of inverted wingers or perhaps inside forward roles. Um, and, uh, it's, yeah, it's not... Hey, I mean, he can he can run very effectively with the ball. He's a good link player. He's a clever finisher when he gets into goal-scoring positions. Needs to probably improve his work off the ball a little bit, both in a, uh, running into goal-scoring positions and and defensively. But he's, he's a player who has some qualities that this squad needs more of, you know, in terms of being able to create chances and also being actually... To, to beat opposition players because so because at the moment it's basically uh, Alex Awobi and and that's it and that's the list <laughs> and uh, so there's an obvious hole for him in the squad and I guess if he has got a relationship with trust the manager I mean I'm sure as hell more in favour than buying a 30 year old Effa Benega despite the fact Benega is an excellent player there's makes absolutely no sense for Arsenal to be buying 30-year-olds in positions where there isn't an immediate sort of crisis. It's one thing buying older defenders when we have no defenders. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not going to criticise the Socrates or even the Lickstein signings because we just fucking needed someone. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, Socrates did kind of fill, fill the hole pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and uh, when we say Suarez, I, 
his price is what 18 20 million something like that well, possibly even less yeah doesn't seem so high i mean when you see how dominic Solanke from liverpool just got sold for for the same yeah i mean as, as i mentioned to you off air i i've written a long piece about uh, about, <laughs> about the limitations in our on our wage cap and what have you, which I referred to briefly at the last podcast, and that'll be going out in the next two or three days, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, that's another reason why we need to be looking at younger players. But it's also <laughs> illustrates the Dominic Solanke case illustrates perfectly what an absolute fucking mess we've made of selling players in the last three or four years <laughs> at this club. I mean. I, I I looked at it and I can't remember the exact list I came up with, but um, I'm going to detail about. But I looked at it and it was something like uh, we managed to sell Giroud, Chesney, uh, well either sell or lose uh, Giroud, Chesney, uh, uh, Gibbs, uh, Gabriel, Nabry. Uh, Ox. <laughs> sorry, what's that? Ox. Yeah, well, I wasn't including him because we actually got a decent price for him. But oh, yeah, uh, that's true. But um, you know, those guys, as well as all the people who've left on their contracts running down, or, or other reserve players, or people like Podolski, who actually are, were good players but past their peak, uh, you know, and we managed to sell all these players for for a, a grand total of like seventy million. Uh, Every one of them, like an established international footballer, <laughs> with a with a strong CV behind them, um, and and we're about to lose another three, well, two to, two to four players on a free at the end of this season with Ramsey, Welbeck, and perhaps Czech, and possibly even Monreal, not including people we want to, we want to get rid of, like Aspina and possibly even the aforementioned Jenkinson, and. You look at the transfer values of those players sort of two years before they left the club and then how much we actually got for them. And it just shows what, a, what a, an amazing fuck-up we've made of things. <laughs> yeah, and this is like we are paying for getting uh, some some money for, for Vermaelen, for Song, for Club and yeah. everyone else. Well, that's the thing. Is Thomas Vermaelen still, or even though he hadn't played for the previous year and wasn't fit to play for the next year, still generated a higher transfer fee than all the people I've just mentioned apart from Oxlade Chamberlain <laughs> so like it, it's like as soon as we got some money to spend like that Urzel summer where we started spending money it's like we stopped giving a fuck about trying to raise any money uh, <laughs> and you know in the piece I've written they go into a lot more detail about the implications of that and, and why that limits us not just into the transfer fees but that's that's a topic for another time um but it does mean we are shopping in the bargain basement. Um, but, I mean, obviously Dominic Solanke's got the English player premium, which forces the price up, and we saw Bournemouth buy Jordan Ibe for the similar sort of fee uh, a, a couple of years ago. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's like the players that Stoke were buying for vast sums of money. <laughs> uh, ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, I mean, without going into detail, it's also why one of the reasons why Ramsey is being let go, um, and it's also why any transfers that come in are likely, unless it's someone who's going to be really game-changing for us, someone who has the potential to be an absolute world-beater, we're going to be picking them up on the cheap, and that's the way it's going to work. Um, hence the links with Gary Cahill online, <laughs> which I don't think is going to happen. No. Uh, I'm not sure he's an Unai Emery style centre half, <laughs> given that he can't really run anymore and 
and his passing is is not the best. Um, who is? Who is, who is an Emery centre half? Yeah. Um, well, the player that Mustafi thinks he is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can resign that one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, re- resign the one that, that obviously uh, the the promo video that was cut on his behalf before Arsenal <laughs> spent thirty million on him. Yeah, that's the one you want. That. <laughs> But, you know, that sort of mobile defender who's re- relatively comfortable on the ball um, and quite proactive, I mean, that's a very Unai Emery defender. You know, like the Lauren Koscielny of two or three years ago is a, is a, <laughs> a very Unai Emery defender. Uh, I mean, Socrates isn't quite good enough on the ball to fit into that mould, but he at least has that mobility. Um, but, you know, the, the, the best examples you can think of are all players who play for clubs that <laughs> we cannot afford to buy. <laughs> Unless Shocking. <laughs> and, and, unless we're trying to wait until they're 35 and their contracts run out, or we're, like we're gonna, you know, there's rumours linking us to Diego Godin, which, uh. which he's a fine defender, but I'm not sure he a he'd fit into our style, and b it's a bit after the horses bolted on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and Pepe. And Pepe, yeah, but I mean that. Hey, on a <laughs> on a short term six month deal, that might have made some sense. I uh, wouldn't want him in my team. Well, it would. It, I mean, it, it would be nice to have a, a setup where uh, Stefan Licksteiner was not the biggest shithouser <laughs> in the team. <laughs> Pepe would come in yes, and be like, "That's be... exactly what we need in defence." Exactly. Pepe would just come in and go, "I got this, lads. I got this." Banter level over now, Exactly. Exactly. How to make Arsenal hated again? Done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but rumors said that he rejected us, and thank God. <laughs> yeah, well, the rumor, yeah, the rumor says he rejected us because he wanted to go back to Portugal in the end. Apparently, he's not going to Monaco either. Despite Monaco's new cunning plan to try and avoid relegation, it's just to buy lots of old slow players. <laughs> <laughs> and says Fabregas. Yeah, which is I'm including in that list. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he is. I mean, let's face it. He was never that quick when he was when he was eighteen, and now he's thirty. Whatever, he's de- he's definitely not quick anymore. Uh, you know, I mean, hey, hey he'll improve their team because he's still an excellent footballer, and uh, he he doesn't he doesn't the Sesk of now doesn't fit into Emery ball. But if 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 he did, I wouldn't mind having him back. But you know, he's he's not a player that's going to be be a sensible investment for us to even to attempt to pursue and good luck to him in France. Yeah, we all know Henri is just buying him to to, to have someone to go on beers and coffee after the game <laughs> yeah. talk about better times and how things were exactly. back in two thousands at Arsenal. <laughs> well he's just he just wants to have like someone in the squad other than Radamel Falcao that you can look at and go, see? <laughs> Someone else gets it because <laughs> apparently he's just been like on the touchlines at Monaco, just the whole time looking like I can't believe how bad all these players are. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that a lot of their players, at, you know, Monaco sold all these players and then invested in lots of young talent, half of whom are injured, and the other half of whom are like eighteen or nineteen, and therefore you know are not ready to be in a relegation dogfight with all this with all the senior players missing. Really um, a horrible situation for such a big club. 
Yeah, yeah, but it's funny. Do you, do you remember when Monaco got relegated a few years ago? Uh, just after they'd like spent a fuck ton of Russian money. They, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. Um, so it, it, it's it's a club that seems to lurch between extremes. Monaco. I mean, <laughs> hey, the fact they won the league when they did, having then sold all the players that they spent their Russian money on, bar Radamel Falco, who they tried to sell for two years. <laughs> um, yeah, they uh, they're a bit of a yo-yo club. But in the truest sense, in that they either like challenge for the title or the battling relegation is kind of <laughs> mental. Um, it's like those two seasons of Leicester City forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but there's also we've, we've been linked with a few other players. I mean, interestingly, we're getting linked with a lot of sort of young English players down the, down the divisions. Like there's Max Aaron's a, a fullback at, at Norwich City or. A, a left back at Bristol City whose name I temporarily forget who's having a good season uh, you know looking at bringing in these younger British players in positions where we're not really developing internally um, and that strikes me as being very sensible um, and particularly as when Ramsey and Welbeck leave that's even two even fewer players of homegrown players and we we know that obviously we've got rules about how many homegrown players we have to have and we know that homegrown players have a a cost premium associated with them, as Dominic Solanke has just proven very successfully. Um, and, I mean, looking at those recent Arsenal transfers out, I mean, not only have they been, like, spectacular mismanagement of assets, which means we've wasted probably about 150 million quid before you even get onto the likes of Sanchez or anything like that, but how many of those players are homegrown players? Yeah. Fucking loads of them. You know, like the whole British core that we were so proud of a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. By the end of this summer, we will, have, in the space of like three or four years, we'll have lost. Uh, well, Ramsey, Welbeck, Walcott, Oxlade, Chamberlain, Gibbs, Gibbs, Jenkinson. <laughs> uh, Nabry would have counted as homegrown. Chesney counted as homegrown. Um, and there, there are a couple others as well whose names temporarily escape me. Um, you know, we'd literally have a third of a squad who, yeah, they might, even if they're not first choice standard, a lot of yeah. those players, they're certainly squad player standard. Uh, but now our homegrown players are basically going to be like teenagers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. Which I suppose going forward is not necessarily a bad thing, but for the right now is pretty fucking stupid. Um, and another transfer that came up today, which I was quite amused by, is uh, the ever-reliable <coughs> uh, Sky Sport Italia, <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously ludicrous. But they, uh, they, they reckon we're after uh, Yannick Carrasco, the ex-Monaco and Atletico Madrid winger, who for some reason fucked off to China for all the money in, well, China. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was in debt. Yeah, well, perhaps. Who knows? But he's only, he's only 25. Like, when you're, like, a 24-year-old winger who's, you know, playing for one of the best national teams in the world and you're getting to Champions League finals and semi-finals, why the fuck would you go to China when, particularly as it was rumoured Juventus and Arsenal were both interested in him at the time? Anyway, unsurprisingly, like most players that go to China, he's realised, might not be such a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, it's one thing if you're 35 and you just want to be, you know, get fat and earn lots of money. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, apparently, according to Sky Italia, he's given his approval to a switch to Arsenal this month. I'm, I'm not sure his team wow. have. 
but you know, in all seriousness, it, he's the sort of player if one could get him on loan. Well, because that tends to happen to some of these players that go to play in Mickey Mouse leagues, is is they end up getting loaned out when they when they when they throw their toys out of the pram because the the you know the Chinese league is still building itself up and is possibly yeah. hoping it might improve. Um, and and that's a perfect loan signing for Arsenal, someone that would fulfil a position of need, someone that the club has had a long-standing interest in and would probably want to have a look at, and um, someone who has shown qualities of being able to be an impact, impact uh, at this level. Unless we forget, he's already got an Emirates goal in his CV. <laughs> <laughs> so we know he's comfortable in the stadium. <laughs> Feeling like home. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, what about the the other rumor? I thought that was very amusing. James Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah, the moment I saw that, I was like, next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we, we, we need another... Uh, positionally uh, ill-disciplined number 10 <laughs> that we can pay vast wages to that's i mean yeah. that's exactly what this club needs <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely gonna well, sign only him out of everyone yeah, we yeah. have i mean not, not that we're trying to get rid of two of those at the moment <laughs> <laughs> uh but the other one i, w- I was amused by was uh, another realm kayla navas <laughs> oh yeah that was so so obvious agent talk yeah. i mean Agent didn't even wait for the next day to <laughs> to get the contract extension. But... <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's in all the papers now, and go. <laughs> <laughs> and and also just why Arsenal? You know, we've just bought a goalkeeper. We've already yeah. got a goalkeeper in his thirties of a high standard as a backup. Why the fuck would we be after buying another? 30-something goalkeeper who's no better than the goalkeeper we've got who's younger than our 30-something goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they saw on Twitter that some people were like, oh, Lena is not as good as we hoped for. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not even someone like Moly Football on Twitter who's, who's famously Arsenal transfer speculation. He, <laughs> I think he didn't even bother to comment on that. <laughs> it was so fucking ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean... Hey, look forward to some more days of this. Even when we get round to signing someone, they'll still be linking with us all kinds of random fuckheads that make no sense. Um, and, you know, such is the nature of the beast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, of course, you know, we're still being linked with every young centre-half in Europe. There's a couple in Spain. There's uh, Gianluca Mancini at Atalanta. He's having a good season. Uh, scored four goals. The guy looks looks a bit like uh, a stormtrooper, so that always helps. Um, although he's actually grown his hair a bit, so he looks a little less scary now than he did at the start of the season. Maybe I will look may- him up after the podcast. I was, was going to say, maybe, maybe that's why the goals are dried up for him, because he no longer looks a bit like a, a prettier Martin Skirtle. Because <laughs> Martin Skirtle obviously was a very ugly man. But... Um, but yeah, uh, Mancini had a similar, similar domed head and shaved head look. Anyway, um, there's also we're being linked with Reese Oxford from West Ham, who seems to have fallen out of favour there. Who we've been linked with for every transfer window since he was about fifteen, <laughs> <laughs> and he is famously an Arsenal fan, or well, not famously, famously if you know him, <laughs> um, and. I mean, hey, again, that would make make a 
makes sense. A, a, a promising young player that is technical despite being defender can fulfil a couple of different positions. And lest we forget, has uh, was has a man of the match award at the Emirates <laughs> under his <laughs> under his name. Uh, so again, someone who should be comfortable in the surroundings. Um, but yeah, I mean, no doubt there will be a lot more increasingly ludicrous links between now and the end of January even after the manager comes out and when we've bought someone and says that's it we're done go, <laughs> go home <laughs> there'll still be some poor sod from Sky Sports standing outside the Emirates Stadium trying to avoid the Arsenal fan TV lot <laughs> at the end of the month getting hypothermia <laughs> questioning his career choices <laughs> yeah that's it that's it this is the Premier League kids this is what you signed up for um, the only other news, really, is that the under-23s got back into action and after a bad run of results, uh, won quite comfortably at home against Brighton, as did the under sorry, the under-18s did. Uh, the under-23s play away at Brighton, I think, today. Um, the under-23s have been on a bad run of form, basically because the best under-23 players haven't played for the under-23s because they've all been drafted in to have to play for <laughs> Arsenal first team because of all the fucking injuries we've got. Um, but the under-18s are doing doing well again. Um, uh, a, a young lad called uh, Miguel... Is it Miguel Aziz? It's something Aziz. He's uh, about... F he's 15... Uh, he's been uh, doing incredibly well at that level, despite the fact he's still at school, oh. which is always nice. Um, and we, as ever, we've got players playing under their age groups. And the Arsenal women won again at the weekend, we, uh, winning 4-2 against West Ham, uh, I think at... Was it at West Ham? Yeah, uh, meaning we've scored four goals against them tw twice this season. Uh, and in the... Uh, in the two games uh, Arsenal attacking midfielder Danielle van der Donk has five goals against West Ham in two games <laughs> from a combined distance of about 20 yards for all five of them <laughs> um, but we've, that means the Arsenal ladies are back at the top of the league ahead of Man City despite having lost at Man City and despite having lost half their players and have been boosted by the return to fitness from Kim Little who was obviously their big superstar signing uh, a year and a bit ago, uh, who has had two horrible injuries, including in this case, uh, yeah, one that was a result of an awful tackle from a Chelsea player. Um, but she's back, and the team are back to winning ways and back to the top of the league. So uh, let's hope they can show the way for the rest. Uh, I think that pretty much wraps us up, doesn't it, Anita? Apart from a little look forward to this weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, West Ham away for. The men. Yeah, what do you reckon? Because West Ham are a, a, a rather more dangerous prospect than they were, uh, well, three or four months ago. Yeah, definitely. They are on up, upward spiral, as they say. Yes, yes. <laughs> They're look, looking a bit better, but I mean... The inverse Villas Boas. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it, won't be, it won't be an easy match. I mean, we won only... 2-1 against them, I think, at the Emirates mm. as the start of our long, long, unbeaten run. Oh, that was <laughs> nice. You're getting, you're getting wistful for October. <laughs> I mean, it was like four months ago. It's like... you get, you get, you're getting misty-eyed for November. It's not right, Anita. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I expect a win here. What can I say? 
Uh, well, the key thing, I guess, we've got to look out for uh, Felipe Anderson and Marco Anatovic. Because um, Anatovic is, yeah, has really improved as a player and is definitely West Ham's talisman. And of course, if nothing else works, they've they've now got the giant horse that is Andy Carroll to throw on from the bench again. Uh, he's the the Shane Long and Charlie Austin of West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. And I, I've sold Arnautovic from my fantasy team, so he'll definitely get something. No, no, you need to keep him for another week. <laughs> you, know, you know how this works. Okay, okay I, I've sold him like a, a week ago, two or three, two rounds ago, so... Ah, has, yeah, has maybe he, has, the jinx has worn off I was going to say hasn't he scored like three goals since then <laughs> <laughs> I tell you I'm, I'm a jinx when it comes to that I was going to say you're a genius you're a genius I've I've, I've, uh, I've bought Alexander Mitrovic and he hasn't scored <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well I'd, I'd like to know what logic there was behind that decision but I'm not going to get into it now um, <laughs> yeah the other thing of course uh is that this would be the return to playing against, or another uh, return to playing against Arsenal for Jack Wilshire? But he, surprise, surprise, is injured. Um, his yeah, his so far his transfer to the Hammers seems to be working out better for Arsenal than either for him or West Ham, as things currently stand, which is sad. Um, but there you go. Um, it's no coincidence that their start, poor start to the season was partly the result of a midfield pairing of Mark Noble and. Jack Wilshire in like a four four two formation, which just basically meant we would have, we would have no legs in midfield at all. <laughs> so we've got lots of good attacking players elsewhere, but you just run through the middle of us and we're defenceless. <laughs> which, which, which unsurprisingly, their form has picked up significantly since Jack's got injured, uh, just because now they've got at least one midfielder at all times who can run, rather than only choosing the two that can't. But anyway, uh, what's your score prediction for West Ham? Right, oh, I'm gonna go with uh, yet another one. Yeah, two, two, one again. Two, one to Arsenal. You know, for Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna go for uh, an incredible, an incredibly unlikely clean sheet. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm gonna go for a very tense one nil. I know. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, it sounds silly, but it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it is possible. <laughs> I'm determined to to stay optimistic. Actually, did we did we actually win? A single match, one nil this season. Uh, I will check. Oh, we beat Carab- FK Carabag and Huddersfield. Both beat both of them one nil. Oh, yeah. In, in the month of December, when we when the wheels started to creak. <laughs> oh, we also won one nil away at Sporting Lisbon through a Danny Welbeck goal. I'd forgotten about that. Oh yeah, the the Europa League. Yeah. But yeah. only one. Only one one nil in domestic football. Yeah, which was at home to Huddersfield in what was. A pretty depressing watch, frankly. <laughs> that was the last yeah, game. The, it was a light motif during whole December. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, hey, we got an overhead kick from... from or a semi-overhead kick from Lucas Torreira, so... Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we've got that to cling on to. Yeah. Exactly. All right, my dear. Well, uh, thanks again for joining me and talking to us. Uh, thanks again to you listeners for listening and for getting this far and for putting up with me and obviously enjoying Anita. <laughs> And uh, we will speak to you again very soon, hopefully with more points in the bag. As I say, thanks again, Anita, and cheerio. It was was fun. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.